It's Friday, October the 22nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, the Fed bans trading for policymakers and Evergrande avoids default. First, the world in brief. The Federal Reserve said it will ban policymakers and senior staff from buying individual stocks, bonds and other securities after two regional presidents of the central bank drew criticism for their trading activities and then resigned. Those subject to the new rules will be limited to investing in diversified assets such as mutual funds and will have to give 45 days notice before trades. Evergrande, a debt-ridden Chinese property giant, belatedly made an $84 million interest payment to holders of its dollar-dominated debt, according to Chinese state media. The money was originally due on September 23rd. It would have officially defaulted if it hadn't paid up by this weekend. Investors still worry that the firm's failure could deal a devastating shock to China's economy. Joe Biden said that America was committed to defending Taiwan, were the island to come under Chinese attack. America's long-standing position has been that it would provide Taiwan with defensive weapons, but it has been deliberately vague about whether its commitments extend to military intervention. China has become increasingly aggressive towards the island, which it considers its own. America's House of Representatives voted to hold Steve Bannon, a close ally of Donald Trump, the former president, in contempt of Congress, after he refused to cooperate with an investigation into the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. The vote was mostly along party lines. The Department of Justice must now decide whether or not to prosecute Mr Bannon. The United Nations will launch a trust fund for cash-strapped Afghans, tapping into donor money to pay residents directly. With 40% of its GDP coming from foreign aid, Afghanistan suffered a blow after the Taliban takeover in August. That compelled the World Bank, IMF and Western countries to suspend payments and the American government to freeze more than $9 billion in assets. COVID-19 may have killed up to 180,000 health workers globally, according to the World Health Organization. It estimates that only 40% of the world's 135 million health workers are fully vaccinated. In Africa, the share is less than 10%. Tedros Adhanam Ghebreyesus, the WHO's chief, urged rich countries to do more for global vaccine equity. The number of Americans filing for initial unemployment benefits, a proxy for layoffs, continued to drop. There were 290,000 claims last week, the lowest level since before the pandemic began in March 2020. About 3.3 million people received benefits across all government programs as of early October, down from 24 million a year ago. Given the dire labour shortage, firms are keen to keep workers and are raising pay. And fact of the day, 87. The average number of minutes American children aged 4 to 15 spent on TikTok each day in 2020. Young users are moving away from Facebook's platforms, but the newest social media sensation has a dark side. And now, here's today's agenda. Unexpectedly tight. 
Virginia's gubernatorial election. A stream of Democratic bigwigs has passed through Virginia in recent days to stump for Terry McAuliffe, the party's candidate for governor. Barack Obama will campaign in Richmond on Saturday. Mr McAuliffe, who held the office once before from 2014 to 2018, is in a tight race with his Republican opponent, Glenn Youngkin, a former private equity executive. Republicans haven't won a statewide election in Virginia since 2009, a reflection of the state's growing diversity and a leftward shift among suburbanites. In last year's presidential race, Joe Biden carried it with a 10-point margin. But Democrats are worried about complacency. To energise voters, they have yoked the Republican candidate to Donald Trump, the former president. Mr Youngkin, for his part, has pointedly avoided campaigning with Mr Trump. If he does break Republicans' losing streak on November 2nd, it will bode poorly for Democrats ahead of midterm elections next year. Row the Day Abortion at America's Supreme Court On September 1st, the Supreme Court allowed Texas's near-total abortion ban to go into effect. Now, the law is back in the justices' hands after the federal government and a group of abortion providers each filed a challenge. On Thursday, Texas responded in writing ahead of the court's decision. In Whole Women's Health v Jackson, Several abortion providers argue the law is, quote, patently unconstitutional under Roe v. Wade, the 1973 precedent on abortion rights. They asked the justices to take it up for full consideration without waiting for a ruling from the conservative Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers three states, including Texas. Quote, Texans are in crisis, the clinics say. In United States v. Texas, the Department of Justice claims the restrictions, quote, thwart the supremacy of federal law. It wants the court to reinstate an injunction against the Texan law that the Fifth Circuit lifted. Word from the Supreme Court could come as soon as this weekend. Brothers in Arms America-Mexico Border Security Security relations between America and Mexico have been framed. Last month, officials from both countries met to hash out a new agreement and negotiations are ongoing. Cooperation had stalled after America arrested a former Mexican government minister on drug trafficking charges. He was later handed to his country's authorities, but not before Mexico retaliated by freezing visas for DEA agents. A revived deal is in both countries' interest, Mexico wants America to curb the trade of guns over its southern border. America needs Mexico to ensure its supply chains, such as for semiconductors. Both want to stem the flow of migrants from Central America. But any policy they agree on is unlikely to end the violence in Mexico or drug trafficking from south to north. Mexico's president, Andreas Manuel López Obrador, has shown less desire than his predecessors to take on crime barons, embracing a, quote, hugs, not bullets policy that so far has yet to bear fruit. Black Star Wagadougou's Pan-African Film Festival 
On Saturday, the Pan-African Film and Television Festival will award its top prize, the Golden Stallion of Yanenga. 17 feature films from 16 countries are vying for the trophy, named after a mythical Burkinese beast. That the festival has gone ahead at all, despite the pandemic and a jihadist insurgency, is a boon for the continent's growing film industry. It is a shop window for African productions, which are increasingly sought after by global streaming services. Netflix is holding a separate competition to find the next generation of African filmmakers. Africa is not short of creative talent. Nigeria's Nollywood made 2,500 films in 2020, but there is also a lot of untapped potential. A recent report from UNESCO, the UN's cultural agency, suggested that with further investment, Africa's film industries could quadruple their revenue and create 20 million new jobs in the coming years. Footnotes Nigeria is becoming ungovernable. Who is to blame? Nigeria is not yet a failed state, but large parts of it are failing. Jihadism is spreading, rebellion is brewing, and rich and poor alike live in fear of kidnappers, warlords and cattle rustlers. Kinley Salmon, an Africa correspondent at The Economist, recently reported on this deepening instability. Nigeria is Africa's largest economy and its dire performance holds the continent back. Nigeria, What Everyone Needs to Know, a book by John Campbell, a former American ambassador to Nigeria, and Matthew T. Page, an associate fellow of the Chatham House Africa program, offers an overview of the importance of the country. For reports on economic and security risks, Kinley recommends SMB Intel, a geopolitical research consultancy in Nigeria. Its recent report on sit-at-home protests in the southeast of the country sheds a rare light on public opinion of separatists. The Nigerian government's inability to control swathes of its territory is one reason jihadism has spread. Bulama Bukati, a prominent Nigerian analyst and human rights lawyer, has written about the violent extremism of Boko Haram, a jihadist movement that erupted in the county's northeast. Tope Oriola, joint editor-in-chief of African Security, a journal, explains how low morale among soldiers hinders the fight against the group. For another lens on the country, Kinley recommends browsing Nigeria's rich array of fiction, L. Nathan John's Born on a Tuesday gives a sobering but humane picture of religion and extremism in North Nigeria. His satire, Becoming Nigerian, a guide, provides a dark but funny take on the patterns of life that annoy and amaze Nigerians. The Secret Lives of Baba Sege's Wives by Lola Shonian tackles heavy issues from polygamy to domestic violence with a light touch. For more insight on Nigeria and Africa, Follow Kinley on Twitter. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Paul Tillich, who died on this day in 1965. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is one element of faith. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, 
including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. Thank you.